when I would go spend the night at her house, my girlfriend's brother was best friends with his brother. So I would go to William's house at 13, never saw him, and um, you know, never answered, but I would be in his house all the time and at, at 13 years old. And then um, when I was 18 or 19, uh, his sister and I, his stepsister became best friends, she and I, and um, still had not met him at all. And Still, haven't, still had not met him. So she and I became best friends, and uh, you know, we would hang out and all that stuff. They didn't live together because his father married her mother. So um, I remember going once to his house. She says, hey, let's just go by and see. They call his father Hunt. Let's go see Hunt's son. I says, oh, he has a son. She said, yeah, and I hadn't even known because we were just friends, she and I. And um, so we went by the house. He wasn't there, but I met what would be my mother-in-law. And so, um, so when we finally met, it was his dad's birthday. They were giving his dad a birthday party. And I went over, and I was saved. You know, we were young um, in the Lord. We loved the Lord. You know, it was a, I went to a church that was filled with teenagers that were saved and just loved God. And so um, I was not thinking about dating, was not thinking about marriage. I think I was 20 years old at the time. And um, seven years, mm -hmm. seven years had passed. Yeah, wow. yeah. So um, we, we went to the birthday party, and he came in, and that's where I met him, at the birthday party. That's correct. But she wasn't looking for a wife. The moment I laid, I mean, excuse me, she wasn't looking for a husband. <laughs> I gotta get it right. She was looking for her husband. And um, the moment I laid eyes on her, I was pondering marriage. I was asking myself, how would it be to be married to this young lady? And um, I guess it was just in my heart. And it was strange because I remember telling my uncle years, years before that, that I would never get married. I came from um, a home where the parents was divorced, separated. So I kind of had a negative view of marriage. And I'm like, I'm never going to get married. But God had dealt with me by that time, and my heart had changed. So when I walked in that door and I saw her, I remember the outfit. I remember how she had her hair. What she had on? She had on the purple dress. It was a purple. No, no, I'm sorry. It was a plaid dress. It was a plaid skirt. And um, she just... She was like just radiant when I was looking at her. And she kept asking me all these questions. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, she's interested. I'm getting the number. And I know she's a saved girl, so my Mac Daddy rap angle works. So I have to come up with something else to be able to get her. So that means I, I'm no more struggling in your salvation. Let's walk right. And my father kept telling me, you, if she is really saved, you're going to have to really seek the, seek the Lord and the, then the, let the Lord do it because... Which the way you're going now, you're not going to win her. So the only way you're going to get her is through the Lord. That's what he told me. Amen. Well, good morning to everyone. Um, I'm Tim Body, my wife, Tony Body. You want to start? Yes, I'm trying to. Initially, um, both of us were very active, as you see, in our church uh, when we met. 
Um, I was at a different church and uh, back home in West Virginia where we're from, uh, all the churches would get together on a, it's like a fifth, was it fifth Sunday? Everyone would get together with the different churches and all our youth would come together. So at that time, I was already operating and working with youth uh, at that time uh, with my home church. So we met from a, but, uh, he was already dating somebody at the time. <laughs> yes. Well, you're, you're almost there. The initial time, first time I met Tony uh -huh. was I was dating a girl named Patty. And we had at home a big um, multicultural fest, like a big regatta, the river, the capital, boats, bands, you know, food, cultures come together. And this is done every year. So as I was introduced to Tony through a girlfriend, someone she knew, and, you know, we were just walking through the crowd, meeting people, and she was introducing me to her. So that's our first official. Um, within a year or so, um, because of some of my baggage, and we'll probably go into that later, um, Patty, we had a mutual breaking up. It was her initial, you know, conversation to come to me. But later on, I guess a year later, Tony and I meet again. Now, I don't know that I ever remember seeing you between at least I don't remember anything significantly seeing you. I know you saw me a lot, you said. <clears throat> but there you go. There you um, go. <laughs> I don't remember a conversation or anything. She said she would see me downtown where I worked on my lunch break. And what did I wear? Let's be honest. A black leather coat and, and a hat. Black leather cap. So obviously she saw me and I didn't know, I, I didn't see her. But she said she would always see me paying my bills. I didn't know what you were doing. You were just walking well, down I would walk into the cable. I would walk into the cable, capital cable, and pay my bill. And then I remember her saying, I would always see you with your black leather jacket and your black leather cap on. Like, okay, I just put, I guess I was paying, I knew I was paying bills. So our first initial meeting was from um, a girlfriend I was dating at the time. And then a year we, later. Yeah, we met in church because, as again, all the churches would get together. He was going to a different church at the time. So all of our youth would come together. I was over my youth at my church, and uh, he was working with his youth at his church. So uh, that's how we initially uh, met. Um, we just became really good friends after that because as a, we became part of the youth team that would come up with ideas to do with the youth each fifth, fifth Saturday or fifth Sunday doing something with them. Uh, so um, we, um, I was looking at our um, invitation. I still have a 25 years, uh, uh, 25 years later, uh, almost 25, I still have our, uh, what you say? Program. Program uh, from them, but uh, from then. Uh, and, and it says that uh, we were, uh, we were together, we, we knew each other as friends and then became, then uh, we loved each other. So. Um, it just, we were just good friends back then. Um, I knew at the time that Tim was dealing with a lot, and, uh, and, and it's kind of funny how I don't really even, yeah, he had a lot of baggage, and, uh, you know, as we grew closer, I was like, 
you know, uh, Lord, where are you leading me to? Because I always would go to God, you know, because growing up, I really didn't have a good example of what marriage or going in that direction should look like. You know, when you're going to church, and this is my story from growing up, the people that you went to church with were the same people out partying where you were partying. So that was sort of confusing with me as living a, a Christ life and also uh, uh, living a life of, um, you know, purity. Uh, so seeing that, I was sort of confused. But, you know, I always sought his word. I would get in his word. I said, you know, uh, to know what, I sh what this should look like as a relationship. So my prayer then when I did start meeting with Tim and getting to know him, I said, um, Lord, I said, I want a relationship like no other relationship that I've had. I don't want the same stuff that I had before because every time I'm getting hurt mm -hmm. because I'm not putting you before anything that I do. So at that time, through our relationship um, and our growing as friends, you know, we even uh, took a vacation together. Nothing happened, you know, because we knew where we were going with this relationship. Um, so, um, you know, as things went on, you know, I just said, Lord, if this is not in your will, I said, take him away from me, you know. So that's where we were, and then I'll let the other part. Well, I'll go into a story, yes. okay. so I know that's coming, so okay. I'll refrain. Okay. So let me ask, um, how many of y'all still have y'all wedding Your wedding program? Yeah, or your invitation? Anybody still have an invitation? Yeah. I, I look at mine almost every day. Yeah, I was just looking at like, what was I thinking? No, I, forgot, I, forgot, I forgot about, you forgot about, about it, it and then the details. Yeah. And I don't know if you brought it with you, yeah. but she showed me. She says, you remember our theme? And it had something about, like she said, we met. Our foundation or something was friendship. Something with friendship and God. She could read it, you know, verbatim, but, you know, that was sort of like, oh, wow, yeah. You know, that's really cool. So tell about your dating and when did you decide to officially <coughs> ask Miss Hunt to be Miss, when you asked Lynette to be Miss Hunt? Let's do that. Um, <clears throat> it was Valentine's, mm -hmm. Valentine's Day, right. And, um, we had dated three years, I believe, and I just, I was just, well, yeah, prior to marriage, I was just uh, overwhelmed with her, and I really began to seek the Lord concerning her. Um, we dated um, very, you know, like, very casually. It was, it was, it was really, really nice. And I just felt like I had found the one. There are, you know, I, I understand how the world paints women, and I had a negative picture of women. And what I learned from my wife, I learned so much from her. And I knew that I wanted her to be a part of my life because she would be that helped me along the way. And it was, it would, I just had such a negative view of them, and I didn't think that they could help. So I felt that um, this is something I, I can't let get away. Lynette, did you know he had such a negative view of women? Um, no, because he didn't treat me that way. Um, and, you know, we came from different backgrounds. You know, um, my, I didn't have a positive uh, view of marriage. I didn't have an example 
of a positive example of marriage. It just seemed like um, marriages that were around were more, um, I didn't see love and affection in a lot of marriages. I, I saw um, endurance, you know, I saw, you know, struggles and, you know, going through. I didn't see real happy marriages where people, you know, the husband and wives really wanted to be together. You know, it was more, we got kids, we got to work, we got to do that, do that and so we got to endure. Um, when I met William, I loved his father, you know, uh, his, his dad, and uh, was a strong man in the Lord, a prayerful man, just, you know, he would probably be um, one of the examples of a man at that time that I liked as it relates to being a husband. Because when staying at my girlfriend's house, I would see him um, pretty much cater to his wife. And he would take her shopping. And, you know, they were always together in that realm. And then they were in church. So I think at that point, they probably were at that time what I would consider um, a marriage. In dating him, um, he, he was really nice. You know, he was a nice guy. I went to a church where, like I said, there were a lot of young people and people were getting married so early. You know, it's like, you know, it's better to marry than to burn. So you couldn't even date, you know, it's like before somebody saying, oh, when are you getting married? So I kept it a secret. And we went to different churches. So I would go visit him, he would come visit me, but we didn't tell anybody that we were dating because I didn't want that pressure of, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? And so um, I think um, him, you know, being the son of his father was a help to me um, in making that decision along with uh, my mom. Um, I had two sisters who had gotten married before me and um, I'm in the middle of them and they didn't have great marriages. There was no abuse or anything but they were marriages that my parents said, don't do it. My mom was a very prayerful lady and she knows her kids, you know, and she said, don't do it. And they both ended up marrying them and they both ended up in divorce. And so I was not gonna make that decision on my own. And I know a lot of people say that what God said, God said, do what God said. And I said, I'm not saying that God said, because I don't know what he's saying. So I'm going to ask mommy, what do you say? You know? And so I went to my mother and I said, Mom, you know, we're contemplating marriage, but I'm, I love him. So I may not be able to see things that you can see. I need you to tell me what you see in him. And she said, you know, I think that he would make a good husband. You know, he's a nice guy, he would make a good husband. And that was the only reason why I married him. <laughs> you give yourself now, there. If mama, okay. Okay. I'm very important. All right. All right, I'll say it. So when we were talking, my mother and I, what she said, you know, she said he would make a good husband. She said, but I do see a temper. And so when I, she was talking, I was not that clear at the time if she was saying, yeah. So I just took it as no. And so I went back to him and I said, I got to give you the ring back. And he said, why? I said, because my mother said no. My and, heart was broken when so I said And so I gave it back to him and I was like, I'm not gonna marry somebody that my, 
my mom does not approve of because I've seen her um, in previous marriages say no. So I did give him the ring back. And um, he was so hurt. I was hurt too, but I was not willing to get into a, a, a marriage that was going not, you know, going to end up in divorce. You know, there's things that she could see that I couldn't see. And I've seen her tell me friends that were not really my friends. And I was like, Ma, you know, you don't know that, you know. And come to find out it was true. And so I really relied on her opinion and her wisdom in that. So we broke up. And he continued to pursue me. He pursued me. And one day, I, you know, after um, I talked to her, she said, that's not what I was saying, you know, dot, dot, dot. Thank so, God. So, <laughs> so we were on, if you know anything about New York City, um, most people take public transportation. So he would meet me on the train after work. And in my mind, it's like, I know he's going to be there. I don't want to see him right now, you know? And so I was waiting. I waited like an hour and a half after work before I even went home. And after an hour and a half, he was in the train station. It's like, what are you doing tenacity. <laughs> I'm not going to let it get away. I'm not going to let it get away. He was in the train station waiting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. I waited an hour and a, like an hour and a half after work, and he was still there. And so after going back and talking to my mother, she said, that's not what I was saying. I was telling you what I saw, but I still think that he would be a good husband. And so that was my decision. Thank God for mom, right? Amen. How was it when you asked Tony? Well, um, again, I had a lot of luggage. So I knew that, you know, decisions would have to be made but I also knew that I had to be honest. I had to be honest because, again, the first girl I ever dated as a saved man, um, I gave my life to the Lord in 1990. We got married. We probably began to date or become friends because my pursuit, it, you know, looking back and listening to your story was not a pursuit until later, until I discovered something about myself. However, my first um, engagement with a young lady as a saved man, it failed. And it wasn't bad, and it was a little sad, but she <clears throat> couldn't handle, and I realized that, she could not handle some of the things in my luggage. She couldn't handle, and, I, and it's okay, and I understood. So now, okay, I got saved in 90, probably begin to really get to know Tony in 92. We got married in 94. So I'm still sort of this young babe in Christ. I didn't grow up in church. The kind of church we did was Easter, um, vacation Bible school because I wanted the cookies or the hot dog that you got and some candy. You know, so it was holiday type gatherings that you know we did and so um i met tony we come back together with this mutual you know celebration and convention for youth and you know there's probably 12 15 20 churches come together we worked on projects together we had a team of people we came together that just kind of happened as far as i was concerned that just kind of happened and we became friends. Even after the conventions were over, 
next thing we know, we, you know, she would visit my church, you know, and I don't know, we just, we just became closer and closer as friends. My prayer was, you know, Father God, I don't want the next person I meet, let our foundation first become friends. Because, you know, I knew the type of person I was close to becoming, selfish. Um, I knew the kind of person that, you know, I didn't know much about women because of the luggage that I carried. Um, I knew that I was coming from a homosexual background. And I knew that I had to be honest. I was honest with Patty, but because of what I saw with her, I really had to make sure that if any leaves were going to be turned or plates were going to be turned over, if there was any information that was going to get in her ear, she was going to hear it from me <coughs> first. And so on the day of my proposal, well, first of all, we, she was always available. Anytime I call or anytime she called me, let's go to a movie. Let, there's a service at so-and-so. There's a the choir so-and-so is giving a concert or let's go hang out. We would always do it. And then upon either she dropping me off in my apartment or I'm dropping her off, we would get home early evenings and we'll be in the car talking to about 3 o'clock in the morning, just sitting in the car, windows all fogging, just conversation and talking and just sharing. And one day I thought, I said, what would happen if I called Tony to go hang out and she said, well, I'm going to go hang, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a date with some other brother. What would I do? And immediately it was like, there was an urgency. I don't want that to ever happen. But again, because of my past, I really didn't understand the relationship that was unfolding. And so I called two of my best friends, Jay and Michael, and I, who met Tony. Um, we grew up sort of together from age 18 up. I'm, at this time, I'm probably 25, 26 years old. Um, Jay was married and he, he and his wife were having their first year anniversary in which we were invited to their dinner party. A month or so before that, I told Jay and Michael, I said, I think I'm in love with Tony. And they were like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have this. I don't have that. That following weekend, because Jay was living in Ohio, you remember Jay and Kim, they came to West Virginia took me to a, a jewelry store, and before we walked out of there, I found a ring for her. And the plan was, you know, I think back how, how, how cheap that was. <laughs> I proposed to her on their anniversary it, within their dinner party. I was excited about it, and they didn't mind. As a matter of fact, we came up, you know, came with this together. And so I proposed to her, and with the luggage that I had to, to make sure that she was aware of, I had to share those things with her right away. I could not be dishonest. You know, I had to be totally honest with her. You know, obviously she said yes, and I remember telling her, I said, listen, um, this was my lifestyle way before I met you. 
I said, and this is what a result for my lifestyle. And I said, listen, I'm HIV positive, and I don't know if you could handle that. I don't know if I can handle it from where I, you know, first got the diagnosis. And what did you say to me? I remember. And uh, I, I told him that I could have met anyone and them not being honest with me, and they could have had it, and then I would have never known. You know what I mean? So I was just explaining to them that it could happen to anyone. You know what I mean? I said, it just so happened that you have it and you're telling me. You know, so I've always told him, I said, I don't like anyone to lie to me. I said, if you do anything, I said, you better get to me quick before that person or whoever gets to me and tells me something because I said, I don't like secondhand stuff. I said, you get to me, you know. And, you know, that's what a lot of things we talked about before we even came down the aisle because I wanted all the stuff to ask you what my expectations were. Uh, you know, I think we both talked about what our expectations were of each other. So a lot of things are foundation with Jesus, but we also lay down the foundation of what our expectations were of each other through what he's been through, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, so in, in you know, understanding uh, my baggage of, you know, uh, of dishonesty with, you know, past relationships with men and not being able to trust him. So that was what we talked about. I'm going to ask, um, what images of marriage did you two have prior to? Well, with me, I mean, I have a mother and a father. Um, the, the man I called dad, or called him all my life since I was, you know, ever, ever could ever utter the words, um, was my stepfather. But I never referred to or related to him as my stepfather. He married my mother at, 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 uh, at the age of three, well, at my age of three. And he's always been dad, you know, to me. Um, but as I got older and began to understand, and you know, my mother never had animosity towards my biological father. Um, I got to meet my grandmother. I got to meet some of my um, aunts and uncles and cousins. Um, so in, in my eyes, the marriage that, that, that I saw, I saw struggle. You know, I saw struggle. I saw at times my mother being the provider it seemed more than my father was the provider, um, but he was always there. I saw them have affection, but I never got affection or affirmation from him. When, when, when I heard him say, I love you, it was in the midst of an argument, especially as a teenager. You don't know I love you by now? You know, that kind of thing. I, 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 although, you know, you know how you, you know someone love you? But, but it's almost like a thin line. I guess, you know, you want to you wanna feel the, 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 affir the affirming affection, the action of love, you know, towards me. So I had more of a, an issue and an identity problem with my relationship with my father. And, and the absence of my biological father more than I saw or had issues or trouble with my parents' relationship, you know, although I saw things, you know. I've seen, I saw my father um, um, cheat on my mother or I saw infidelity one time 
I was 10 years old. We were living in Detroit at the time, and my mother was away. And I was expecting her to be home soon, but I wasn't sure when. And I remember getting up that Saturday morning, and my parents always kept their door closed, you know, their bedroom door. And I remember going in and excited, like, Mommy's home. But it wasn't the woman that I knew. It wasn't my mother. And I remember going outside and walking down the street just crying. So that gave me a very bad, you know, example, you know, of marriage. And I probably resented my father since then. We're going to take a pause right here and welcome our online viewers who are tuned in to our panel discussion, Unpacking Our Marital Vows. And our first panel, we have Tim and Tony Body, and we have William and Lynette Hunt. And we are discussing um, when our marital vows are faced with for better and for worse, okay? All right, so let's kind of move up a little bit. Um, tell about maybe like the first one or two years after marriage, some of the things that you kind of encountered. Um. First two, the first year was very hard. Um, at this time, um, Tim was getting ready to start medication for the HIV positive. Uh, during that time, it was the a ATZ. A yes. So that was really rampant. That was the only thing that was out there. To, so, but he had a lot of side effects from that. So it was like, almost like we would go to work and then come home and we were he was going through, so it, it, it did put a lot of, um, it was just a hard time, uh, you know, when we should be, you know, just enjoying life, but going through what he was going through at the time. Uh, he was crying, it was a lot of uh, the, the, the side effects that he was dealing with, but that was the only thing that was out there at the time. And then you're starting to hear all this stuff, you know, cause that was when it was really rampant out there, you know. Um, Yes, the, you know, the sense, so we're, we're dealing with all this at one time, and by October of, let's see, by that following, was it October? I, was it September? No, you, you was pregnant. You were pregnant, we got married in June, and I remember you calling me around September, October, and you were pregnant. Yes. So along with all that, mm -hmm. and then... The thing that, and it was, it's funny that, you know, when I, when I talk about it now, because when I did become pregnant, you know, I was like, man, this is crazy. I said, people are dying. I said, and, and not only that, I said, my child may die from this. So the first encounter that I had with, um, with the, the uh, doctors was like, this woman came up to me and she says, do you not know what you've done? I said, what are you talking about? And she says, you're going to have to abort this child. I said, I said, I looked her in the eye. I said, you don't know the God I serve. So you don't know the God I serve. I said, we're going to be fine. Now, needs to say, I grew up, I mean, I've, I've always had good insurance, you know, because I've always worked in the insurance uh, industry. So I had to go from going to a nice, quaint little office to a clinic. This is a clinic where everybody's there. 
high-risk clinic. <clears throat> and I had to go through that. So our first year of marriage was, it was, it was, but it made us stronger. You know what I mean? Every month we get the results back. Child is fine, you know, pop, you know, uh, negative, negative, every month, negative, negative, each month, negative, negative, you know. So through that process, it was um, negative, negative. And you know, the one funny, funny thing about it, I never saw that woman again. The same woman that wanted to tell me to, to abort my child, I never saw that woman again. Tiffany, any time during this, um, did you feel like Tony would leave you? I did. I, I mean, she never gave me any inclination. She never said it, threatened it. She never, she never showed me that. But in my mind, because I was always battling, first of all, who would do that? I was blessed on one side because I'm like, wow, what woman from day one, from the time I opened my mouth and opened up my luggage and began to pull out pieces and share it with her would still be here. Number two, we were always in agreement. We wanted a child. I wanted a son, you know, and she wanted a child. Again, who would do that? Um, number three, family, some. How could you do this? Do you understand what you're doing? You know, even my mentor at the time, remind, remind, reminding you that I was a young man, young baby in Christ, they began to back away. So, you know, we kind of received some hurt, some, you know, um, I don't know, just some crazy relationship, meaning what we thought was solid, people began to back away. You know, when I started taking at AZT, you know, at that time, you know, HIV and AIDS was still considered, you know, a death sentence. People weren't living very long, you know. And when I took this AZT, the first thing was the fact, <clears throat> and you go through these different, first of all, you get the diagnosis. That's got to settle in. Number two, now I'm taking a medication. This thing is real. I don't know how long I have to live. And then I get married, I have a wife who's accepting, and the very final words she said when I told her all this, as she shared, but the very final words she says, I don't see the man who you were. I see the man who you are now. I've never forgotten that, and I'll never forget that. And so there's, it's true, I would come home, she would come home, and we would go to the bedroom and change you know, take your suit and your dress off and just kind of put on whatever for the evening. And we would sit on the bed and talk, and I would say to her, I'm scared. And she would say, I'm scared too. And there were times we would lay on that bed, and we would cry, maybe pray, and then get up. And she says, what do you want to have for dinner? And it was, you know, and the moment she called me and told me, guess what? I'm 10 weeks pregnant. I was scared and excited at the same time. We talked for a minute, you know, um, and of course we were gonna see each other later on that afternoon or that evening. I hung up the phone and I got on my knees and I prayed. So you're talking about a faith. I know one of the questions, the one thing that, the one scripture that 
that we often constantly heard and reminded each other in was very simple. We've all heard it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is our substance? What are we hoping for? And as crazy as it sounds, two people coming together. Because there was a part of a guilt like, man, how could I lay with her? Even if we got married. And I decided, and we decided, listen, you always use a condom. You know, I'm just saying, let's just keep it real. We, you know, we have love for one another. We can be married. We can do this. We can still, you know, have a dream and, and, and partner with one another. However, we just will adopt kids, which was precious. And we thought about that over and over again. We, we, there's other avenues of building a family. But for some crazy God-desired reason, that was, because remind, remind you, and I'm going to be quiet, I was walking a life of homosexuality. And when I lived in D.C., that's who I was. And, you know, you hear the stories, I'm coming out. And I'm coming out of the closet, and this is my identity, and I love it, and this, I'm enjoying it. And if, here's real love, and friend, this is who I am. Wasn't born this way, da 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 Marriage, never thought about it. A child, never, who could, no, who could care about all that? And all of a sudden, after I give my life to the Lord, these desires are strong. To walk upright, to become a man, a husband, someday, and to have a son. These things begin to become strong desires. You know, so there was a battle. But God showed us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And now, to this day, my wife is still HIV negative. To this very day, to this very day, my son, 23, will be 24 in June, HIV negative. And he knows the story. You know, praise God for that. You know, praise God for that. So how was it for you guys? Like, after you got married, you took the vows, and life started to happen. So what was it like? Um, for the first couple of years, it was good because we were young when we got married and we did a lot of playing um, and we decided that we would not have children for the first three years of our marriage. Right. And so we went out a lot, you know, we went out a lot of, you know, just hanging out. Because Lynette loves to dance. Yeah. Anybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. And what helped us, too, is that we had, um, the one thing that when I got married, I had a lot of friends prior to marriage. We hung out, we had a great time. Um, but when I got married, I understood that I needed married friends. And I needed, you know, some couples. We needed couples to hang out with. So we hooked up with some couples, and we would meet like once a month, and we would have dinner, we would play games, we went out. So we did a lot of stuff with, you know, these couples. And I have one girlfriend, uh, we're still friends today, um, and she and I, and William and her husband and her daughter, which is on Friday, let's go to Virginia. So we get in the car and we go. Now everything was not always peaches and cream. Like we had a lot of, we had some issues because when I came into marriage, not seeing the successful marriages as I grew up, my father was an alcoholic and he lived in a home 
And so there was, when he got drunk, you know, he wanted to fight, he wanted to argue, you know, he'd lose his job. And my mother was the provider, she helped us, she, you know, so this is what I saw, you know, growing up. And I saw my mother be strong. And I saw my mother say, and she told us constantly, don't take anything. Stand up for your rights, fight. You know, this is the kind of mother that she was. Like, be strong, fight, don't take. So when I got married, I went in the marriage <laughs> saying. You, she was a fighter. Saying, Ooh. I'm not taking anything. And so, and I went into marriage saying, if it don't work, all right, so what? I'm not taking anything. And so I took that fight that I saw all those years into my marriage. And so, you know, there was times I was packing my bags and you was going to take me home. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm leaving and you're taking me. And so... And so that's how it was, you know, a lot of times because of, you know, just being different. We were very different. We were raised different. I had uh, uh, four other siblings, and my siblings and I were very close because we didn't have that much growing up. My mother struggled a lot with us. We shared things all the time, you know, as siblings. We would share clothes. We shared bedrooms. We shared beds. You know, we shared everything. So when I came into marriage to William, I was sharing. It's like, okay, you know, we're here together. Let's share. You know, but he wasn't raised that way. You know, it was, it was him and his mom and your brother. And they're five years apart. They have, your brother's November 5th. His is November 7th. His, we shared birthday cakes in my house. His mother would bake a birthday cake for him on November 5th, and then on his brother would get his own November 7th. And so everything was their own. So when we came into marriage, on our, I'll never forget our first paycheck, I was like, okay, let's put it all together and let's pay the bills. He said, no, this is mine. This is mine. And so that was a struggle for us because I was sharing, he didn't want to share, down to a donut, y'all. <laughs> we had fights over donuts. <laughs> like, who was going to eat the last donut? There's only two of us here. Somebody got to eat the last one. But he wanted it all the time because that's who he was. Now, I would have taken that donut and split it in half because that's who I was. You know, but he's like, no, I want the donut. He need the whole donut. He need the whole donut. So, you know, um, being young and, you know, being married, we had a lot of struggles because of our differences of who we were. And um, you can share some of your... I just want to say one thing before I go on. It says that, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That was the old me. Yes. I, um... I didn't, have, I didn't have anybody uh, in my household to, um, you know, to, to, to uh, model a good marriage. So even though she, she saw my father more than I did, because I live with my mom. And you know, when a kid is hurt, no matter what that father does, or a parent does, it's hard to see. 
Now, he, he was, my father was a prayer warrior, and he was a dedicated husband to his wife. But it was hard for me to see all that because he divorced my mom. So it's like, it was always like a wall in front of me where I couldn't see any, any, any good. You know, when somebody hurts you, it's hard to see the good in them. And it was very difficult for me to see that because of, of what he did. So the way, I, the way I grew and the thing that helped me was the Christian community of marriages. Because that's where, I be, that's where I began to grow and to learn. I began to watch those around me and how they interacted with their wives. And that's when I started to mature and change. So that was a help for me as far as, uh, uh, you know, um, making the marriage better, getting through the hard times. And the thing was is that um, as, as the, the more I participated in those areas, the more I grew. The thing that really helped me was is actually, yes, the scriptures. Because that's where I learned to really love my wife. I stayed with Corinthians 13, and I meditated on that. And as I uh, got more involved with Christian marriages, that was the thing that helped me to, go, you know, to get through this. And as I began to grow spiritually, then I began to read the other areas that concerns marriage, and that began to help. So, like she said, the first few years wasn't, it, it was a lot of, I think it was a lot more fun because we stayed on the go. And it didn't get rough until we started encountering the children issue because I had an issue. And that, was, that, that became the real challenge in the marriage more so than anything. And there's some other little insignificant things that's in there, but I kind of, of, of got my growth and, and desire to make this work through, through prayer and through the word. And my father, like my, um, excuse me, my wife always said, he was a praying, a praying man, and he was always praying for me. And I remember times that I was at work and these accidents could have occurred and I could have died, and I shared that with my father. And he said, at that same time, I was praying for you. That's why the Lord brought you through. So um, I think that the, 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 the prayers of the righteous does avail much, and it had a great impact on, on um, our relationship. And I had to learn um, how to respect him. Uh, well, one thing you asked me, like, did I see his negativity with women? I didn't see it as it relates to us, but I did see it when it came to his mother when we met. His mother was um, very strong, and um, um, she was trying to instill something in him, and he didn't see it at the time. She was trying to instill, um, you know, just responsibility and this and that and the other, and, and he didn't really see it. And, but that she was different with her other son. She just kind of let him do whatever he wanted to do. William couldn't do what he wanted to do. And so I remember him, you know, being angry with her. And, you know, he'd come to my house. He'd talk about her. And I remember saying to him then, the one thing that I can't do is be with a man that doesn't get along with his mother. You know, that I'm not going to do because I understood how my mother loved us and sacrificed and did everything. And so my understanding of a mother was that she will do anything for her child. And even if they didn't agree with it, because I remember times um, prior to being married and being home where I would be angry with my mom because, you know, she was telling me the truth. 
And I would go in my room and I'd be angry with her, but then I realized, and, and I was saved at the time, and I was like, Lord, I know what she's saying is for my good. And I saw her wisdom. So for him, I said, we can't do this unless you mend this with your mom. With your mom you know? And so he began to see and began to mend you know, his relationship with his mother. So although he didn't treat me that way, I didn't want to have a man or a relationship with a man that didn't treat his mother well. The flip side of that is I had to learn how to respect him because I saw negative relationships, because my mother had to struggle, because there was no real um, strong man in my life. You know, my, my dad wasn't strong. My mother's brothers weren't strong. There was no real man, no strong man in my life to say, that's the example of a man. So I felt like, you know, I'm strong. You know, I could do this on my own and have said it. You know, I could do bad by myself. You know, I can walk away from this. You know, and so I had to really, God had to really humble me and teach me to keep this close and to learn how to respect him as a man and as my husband. I know for, I know for me, um, when, before my husband and I, Herb, got married, um, Herb and his mom, they have a good relationship, but there were some other issues there. And so I remember telling him that before we could get married, I need you to fix and figure out what it is between you and your mom. And um, when he called his mom, um, they had a conversation. No, he was visiting in Philadelphia, and she, she said to him, you're always going to be my, my, my little buddy. You're always going to be my baby. And he is the baby of four. So he was wanting mom to see him as an adult, but she was still seeing him as her baby and it caused friction because he's fighting to be seen as a man and she wasn't ready to see him as that. So that was a conversation I had to have with my husband before we get married, whatever this is between you and your mom, it has to be settled because him and his dad can talk every day on the phone like nothing. I mean, they talk on the phone like two, three times a day if you let them. And, but I needed that relationship with his mom to be mended before we got married. You mentioned when it came to the, um, the topic of children. So how did that um, affect your for better or for worse when the, the ideal and the conversation came up to have children? Well, let me say first, um, it affected me in the, in the sense that I wanted to really rely on the Lord and the word where as far as this, the same way he did for Abraham and Sarah, I wanted it to be done for me. And when she brought up, when she brought up um, adopting, it was hard for me to deal with that because I wanted my own biologically. And I didn't want to go that route. So it was kind of that, that old me, that selfish me, that's saying, it's gotta be my way. I gotta have it the way I want. And that was, that was, that was the problem and as far as for me, and I created more than it should be because of that. And it's like, well, you're asking me to do this. It's like, where is our faith? Let's stand on the word of God. Not, not being spiritually mature at, enough at that time to see that 
God had another plan for us. And um, I think that that was, became a thing of the friction for me because I just didn't, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself loving somebody else's child. You asked me to do this, and I don't know the situation that they're coming from. And I was like, well, I'm on, and we, I, we live, I mean, excuse me, we, we attended a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle Deliverance, and it was a deliverance church. And I was bent on being delivered from this issue so that I could have my, you know, our own kids. And I just didn't want to give that any thought. So that was kind of like the, the bumping of heads. And for me, um, for me, I grew up, again, growing up differently and things that you don't discuss before you get married, especially when you're young sometimes. And children was not a discussion prior to marriage. But I grew up around children. I have loved children as a baby. I've loved children. You know, and I remember at three years old trying to pick up, must have been my little sister or somebody, pick up and carry, and my dad was like, no, you know. But I've always loved kids. I've always been around children, always interacted with kids, and so there was no thought about this. You know, I was gonna have kids. And um, so we didn't discuss it. And um, so when I got married, we had already decided that we would wait three years before we had children. So we used birth control prior, you know, for three years. And then after the third year, I was like, okay, now it's time, you know, and it wasn't happening. Um, and we didn't know why, you know, it wasn't happening. I didn't have any history of not being able to have kids. My mom had children like, like that. She had five, my sister got pregnant like that. You know, my other sister got pregnant, and I, so I didn't have any history of not being able to have children. And so um, when I got married, I was like, okay, three years is up, we're gonna you know, start having kids. And then it wasn't happening. And then um, we didn't know why. So of course we had to go to the doctors and find out you know, what was going on in our bodies, find out why he, I wasn't getting pregnant. Um, I had a hysterogram. And they was like, well, everything's intact, everything's good, there's no reason why, you know. And William had to go and have um, a sperm count. And he'll tell you about the process and why he couldn't do that. Um, I wanna be transparent as I can, be as truthful as I can. This, this is a situation now where you know, sometimes, even, uh, even in this, God has a plan of deliverance. And as I was going through this process, I, I had, well, let me back up just a little bit. There is a particular vein in the testicle that blocks a certain portion of the, of the, the sperm, where it's say, let's say the average guy, he, will, he could send out maybe 8,000 soldiers, right? And mine was maybe like maybe 6,000. It's not, it wasn't enough to fly over, it was it the, the uterus, right? It wasn't enough to, to go up to that point to produce the kids. So they had, they said, well, you know, we had to do the test. So I said, well, I, I told my wife, I can't do that. As a boy growing up, a young boy, very young, I was exposed to pornography. And, and I was going through a deliverance process and I didn't want to do anything to re-trigger that. Mm -hmm. 
So in order for me to put it in the cup, you, you all adults, you know what I have to do. And I was just, I couldn't do it. And I went into the room, I could not do it. I was so afraid of opening that can of worms again. And I struggled with that. But I knew that my wife wanted kids. And I said, well, there's, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. Be right. Because of that particular porn that was in the room, I was like, I can't do it. And I stuck to my guns because I didn't want to open that old can of worms. So, and, and it turns out also is that what they were saying with the artificial insemination, I forgot who I was with, but they wouldn't cover it anyway. So the enemy would have got me at that point, and it would have been an open door, and I was just so afraid of that. It's like, once you become delivered from like, alcohol, you cannot be around a lot of alcoholics. You cannot take that drink, and, and it's, you gotta be very, very, very careful. So I didn't want that door to be open, and that was the thing that, I think that created more friction between us because I wouldn't do that. And then my pride was in there. My pride tore me up. So I had to battle with that. How was that for you? Oh, that was hard. That was very hard because I couldn't see why he couldn't go in the room and just go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's like, you know, just go in there and do it. Like, this has really gripped you to this point. You know, before I really understood the, the, the grip that pornography has on a marriage and a family, I was like, just go in there one time, really? You know, and, and do it and let them count, you know? <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I felt. So that became a struggle with us. And I remember one day, it was like on a Saturday before church, and I remember him just saying, I'm not doing it, period. He just put his foot down, it's like, I'm not doing it. And I didn't realize the, the stronghold that this porn had on him. You know, he says, I'm not doing it. And so I remember going to church and I had a friend at the time and I just went to her and I just boo-hoo crying like, he's not gonna do it, you know, da, 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 we're not gonna have children, you know, just going on and on and on. And, um, but this, but even in the process, it kept us praying, not necessarily for our marriage, we were praying for kids, you know, so whatever the reason was, we were praying, you know, it was for the, for the children and not necessarily for what was going on in between us. It was for our desires, you know, to have kids. But just to back it up some, for me, adoption was an option, always has been, and I, not discussing it with him prior to marriage, that was one of my goals in life. I was going to adopt children because I'd seen it as I grew up with my mom having friends who had children that they adopted, who had children that they fostered, and we were close to them, and it was just, from a kid, it was just a desire of mine. I said, I'm going to adopt children. And so um, when that didn't work out, you know, naturally that we could have children, and I saw him struggle with porn in our marriage, and I didn't know he was struggling like that, you know, in our marriage with porn until the Lord was delivering him. And I remember him telling me one day he had had it in the house. I didn't know. You know, when I would leave, he'd have it. I didn't know. At the time, if you all remember, when you go look 
uh, to rent a movie, they had the porn sections, and he would kind of find his way over in the porn section, and I didn't know. You know, this was such a stronghold. Until one day, I think you were getting ready to go out to work, and he came back in the house, and I'm telling you, the Lord did a work on him. He was flipping in the floor, turning, and, you know, God was delivering him, you know, in that. And I didn't realize how strong that was. And I grew up watching demons being, you know, cast out of people and people being delivered. But now it's on my floor in my bedroom, you know, and I, I had no clue. And so once I understood that, then I could accept the fact that he could not go into this room with a whole bunch of naked women in different kind of pornography, different positions where they have men go and look at all these pictures so that they can become aroused and so that they can ejaculate into a cup. That was their process. He couldn't do that. You know, he was, God had delivered him. He couldn't go back into that. You know, and so when I got to really understand that, that was when, you know, the Lord had just touched my heart. It's like, okay, this is not the way that God's going to give us children. And still trusting and believing. And we went 18 years in marriage without children. And I went one day to a nail salon. And I, like I said, I've always loved kids. And we had a four-bedroom home in New York. We had no children in our home. And so we had 10 godchildren. We had nieces and nephews, and my house was filled with kids all the time because we love kids so much. And we started working in the youth department with kids. We'd have kids over all the time. But every time they left, it was just this quietness, you know, and I was like, you know, I want my house, you know, filled with kids. And so I went to this nail salon. I was talking to this girl. She worked in the foster care system, and we're talking about kids, and she saw how bubbly I was talking about kids. And she's like, you know what? You would make a good foster parent. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I do plan to adopt kids, but I really want to work on having my own first. And then I'm going to, you know, adopt after that. And um, so she said, well, why don't you just go through the process first? And so she said, you know, come to this class. And so I went home and I talked to William and I was surprised that he was agreeable to doing it. So we went through the process of the classes of foster care and we had our stipulations. We didn't want any kids over two because we realized sometimes when kids have already been in care that they come with a lot of problems. And we really didn't want that. I was willing to go up to two years old. So because of that, they said, well, you know, we don't really hardly ever, ever get babies where they are adoptable. Usually babies go to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody wants babies. And so, when we um, decided that we don't, well, we were just going to have to wait because we didn't want kids over two. So we did. We waited for over a year. And January of 2003, we received the phone call. And they said, um, I have a baby girl who was just born. born. She's in the hospital. You know, do you want her? And I'm like, yes, yes. And so she's like, well, here's the story. You know, she has a little brother who's two and um, you'll have to take him as well. I said, well, that's fine, we can, we can do that. Um, but they knew that my, our goal was to adopt. And so when we, um, then, like I said, everybody wants babies and everybody wants baby girls in the foster care system. Um, 
Elder Montgomery, I think you can attest to that. Um, everybody wants baby girls and you know babies, and nobody wants these these old children. And so um, they said, well, you know, all of these potential paternal grandmothers came up and said that this is my grandbaby and this is my grandbaby and da da da. So you can't have those kids. This is January of 2003. So we said, okay, we'll wait, you know. And February of 2003, February 23rd, I believe, of 2003, the um, agency called me and they said, hey, now let me just back this up a little bit. I told my girlfriend when I, by the time I'm 30, if I don't have kids, I'm not even going to do it. And I said, God, if I get pregnant, I want to get pregnant one time in my life, I want to have twins, and I don't ever want to be pregnant again. That's it. That's what I told the Lord. And so then after going through all this process, you know, when they called me in February of 2003, they said, I got twin baby boys. Do you want them? I say, yes, absolutely. I said, let me call my husband first and see, you know. He's like, well, do you think we could do this? I said, absolutely. We have support. We have our family. You know, I'm thinking in my head, this is what God, I told the Lord I wanted. And they said, well, um, this comes with no legal risk. You know, mom is there eight and nine. She don't have the other ones. You don't have to worry about it. You know, you're going to be able to adopt them. And the process didn't happen that way. Do you want to tell the story? Okay. So the process didn't happen that way. Um, we got these kids, these babies, at six weeks. They were six weeks old. They were five pounds when we went to the hospital to get them at six weeks and I was just like Lord thank you you know you gave us the desires of our heart and then we got a call that which was unusual for bio mom she called and said I want to see the kids and the agency called us like we don't believe it she wants to see these kids this this has not even happened she got eight other you know whatever several other children this has not even happened now she wants to see the kids Another thing that happened that never happened with the other ones is bio dad wanted to see the kids. So I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you promised me children. And I had to, oh God, I'm sorry. I had to hold on to what God promised. That's all I had. That's what we had was his promise. Oh. So we went through this whole process, and we had to remain close. We had to pray. You know, we had people praying with us, praying for us, and we were praying, you know, and it was building our, our um, union together as, as husband and wife. We were becoming stronger, you know, through this whole process, but, you know, we had to go through this whole situation when our kids going into the agency for visits. And I was like, why me? You know, why? You know, all these kids that she has, you know, they're not, she's not seeing them. Why does she want to see my children? And so we went through this whole process and, you know, every week we had to go to the agency and take these babies to the agency to see, you know, mom and dad. So finally, and, and you know what? Let me tell you something real. Let me tell you something real. You know, these, these, these parents are on drugs. They're on crack cocaine. 
they're doing everything. And I was like, you know, God, I'm a Christian. But I was praying for them to go take some crack. I am not going to tell you. <laughs> Just let them go do something else. Because I need these children. But God didn't have it that way. He had it so um, that I became close with bio mom. And there was times that she would fall on my shoulder and just cry. And I'd have to pray for her. God help her to be able to get her children. Help her to be able to, you know, be strong enough to stay off drugs and get her kids. Meanwhile, in my heart, these are the kids that I want. These are the kids that you promised me. And so I just had to begin, you know, continue to pray and trust God. And after 18 months, bio dad jumped, dropped out of the scene. And I was like, okay. He's gone. The mama stayed in it. And so we began to continue to be close with her. Um, after two years of us having these kids in our home, the agency called and said, mom has successfully completed two years and you now have to give them up. And we had to really draw close you know, and really pray each other through. And in my opinion, the agency had not done their job in uh, building a relationship with my children and their bio mom. So, and because, you know, they were my children, I said, listen, every time my kids go, they cry. And they were lying on the report saying that they were, they were bonding, they were doing well. I said, they cry every time. And, and so I had to have a meeting, make a long story short, with everybody there. I said, I need to have a meeting. And I said, you're doing an injustice to my child as well as to her. I said, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to have her in my home. Since you're telling me that my kids got to go back, got to go to where they've never been. I said, I'm going to have her in my home. I'm going to let her play with my kids, bathe them, put them to bed, read them stories, and all of that. And then I'm going to her house. And I'm going to bring pizza, their toys. We're going to have a good time. I said, because when my children leave, I need to know that they're not crying behind me. And they said, Miss Hunt, we don't advocate that at all. We don't, we don't want you to do that. I said, but you're talking about my kids. And I'm not going to let my children, I'm not going to let them be hurt. You know, you're talking about my children. And so that's what we did. When Friday, I brought her over to the house. And, you know, they don't really want you to even let these foster parents know where you live. And I brought them to my home. And they had a good time with her. And she bathed them. And I brought them to her home. And, you know, then that following Friday, they, we had to pack up everything and take them to her house. I was able to walk out without crying because I knew my kids weren't crying. And so I had to make that sacrifice for them so that, so that they won't be crying when I'm walking away. But it was because we had to really draw close. As it relates to for better and for worse, it was something that the Lord, it was a process the Lord had to take us through to build us up 
so that we could make it through the worst. And that was the worst of times. And rather than breaking up and going different ways or allowing the situation to destroy us, it drew us closer to God, which, was able to, which he was able to sustain us. And I think that also for me is that um, because I had really understand and understood love, I knew that I had to really, I, I mean, Ephesians really came into play for me to really love my wife. So that's why uh, I, I, I participated, I, I had a change of heart because I loved her and I understood the significance of love and I understood the love of God. And once I got that revelation, then that's some of the area that helped us through the hard times rather than break us up. Because I think that if it was a secular couple, it probably would have destroyed them. So that was the times when you really had to trust God and, and go through what the vow said for better or for worse. So that was the victory in that area. I also the victory is the Hunts boys are here. <laughs> they were able to um, get their boys back. You will see them working the cameras or anywhere else their mom and daddy tell them to go. <laughs> so they are here and they faithfully serve and they are really respectful boys. So we thank God that we never know the story. You never know what you have to go through when you make that vow. Because I'm pretty sure there are couples who have gotten married knowing that their spouse has a diagnosis, no matter what it is. And once you get in this thing and you see what the day-to-day -day life is with that diagnosis, you can turn and walk away. But for better or for worse, through sickness and the health, we're going to stay together. And you have to have that type of attitude and that much love to make it. I was telling, um, I was telling Lynette that I knew of two couples who could had issues having children, and there was one couple in particular. They were going for their last um, infertility treatment, and the husband told her, "If this doesn't work, I don't think we're gonna make it." So there are couples who struggle. And not having kids is not an option for them. They walk away from a marriage because of that. But it has to be something on the inside of you that, one, loves God. Two, you are a person of your word that I said, I would love you for better or for worse. And we serve a God that has so many ways that he can fulfill a promise that if we trust him enough, he will bring us through. Amen? Amen. In, um, in closing, I want to ask, um, just give a, a short answer, because I think people may be hungry. I am. <laughs> um, when you think back on being on the other side of that for better or for worse, is there anything you would change? Is there anything in your process that you would change? For me, no. Because like you said, like you both said, the lessons you've learned. Um, <clears throat> how would we know about faith until we've been taught by God the process of, of faith and 
what does that look like? Because not only is it building our relationship with him individually and together as husband and wife, but it's building our bond. As you said earlier, those things made us stronger. You know, you don't know fear until you experience it. You don't know, you know, going through, you know. And, you know, back then, you, you know, a lot of times you might have thought or, or taught or even prayed, God, take me out of this. But instead, he wanted to take you through it, you know, to show you a more excellent way, you know. And then someday, you know, like it's producing a book in us right now. And Lord only knows what it will produce from this day going forward to minister to other people or to other couples or, you know, I told Lynette and, and I've heard that this is really powerful. I never, you know, deeper and I hear more and more details. It's awesome. And even William, I said, I see a memoir, you know, even to leave to the boys and to whomever because the story, you know, we're living epistles and it's so, it's so powerful. And I was just sitting here thinking, just when you were telling your story, we went through all our stuff. And I was thinking, I said to myself, I asked myself a question, Tim, could you have gone through? And the part that got me was when you said, we had to pack up. I mean, I'm thinking, oh God, my heart was just in my stomach just going through the process of having to pack those things, the boys up and all of their belongings, knowing you had to drop them off. So, you know, I don't care what a person's going through, what's great for them was great for them. Whatever the, 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 whatever their message was, someone else could say, well, that's not much for me, but everyone has something where your faith will be tested in whatever area. You know, so I would not do it over. I would not do it over again. I wouldn't. Yeah, I agree. Um, because it's made me who I am today. And it's offering me a testimony of, you know, you're testing your faith. You know, trusting in God. Because I said, you know, I know I can remember when we got married. I said, Lord, how are you going to bring me together with a man? And you know I want to have children. So I would go to him boldly. I said, Lord, I, I want to have a child. You know, just like you said, Lord, you said he's going to bless me. Lord, I want to have a child. You know, why would you bless me with the man of God and not let me have a child, you know? So, you know, end result is trusting in God through the process. I never wavered in my faith. I'm like, oh, well, God. You know. No, I trust in God through the process. And not only that, it's a testimony that we leave to our kids. Sure. That's the most important thing to me is that they see our faith and what made us strong so that they can take this, what they've learned from us, and take it on to the next generation, or take it on in their marriage and learn what it takes to have a strong marriage. For me, growing up, my parents were together. They worked hard, but they knew, never knew how to have a vacation. I don't think there was ever a time when all of us could take a vacation. So what I've learned from my husband is that was something they did all the time. So that's a learning, that was a big learning thing for me is that my parents worked all the time, but they never had time as a family. So what I've learned with my husband is, I'm still getting it back, I'm learning in a different way, but that um, some things that you didn't have, you do get it back in another way. So, you know, 
Um, you know, still having two parents at home, still not getting all that you need, you know what I mean, as far as knowing the family values. Never, like my mom, we, we were not a touchy-feely family, you know what I mean? And now, you know, I am, you know, because of my husband. So, you know, those things sort of work out. The thing that probably would have changed was just that I would have been more submissive and obedient. If I could be more obedient and submissive, I think that that would have had a better impact on our relationship as far as that is concerned. I wouldn't change anything. Um, the only thing that um, has ever been done and done perfectly is when God created this world. And when he said, let there be, and let there be, and let there be. There was no reason to change anything because he said, let there be, and it was, and it was perfect. Everything else had to grow. Everything else had to start out and grow. And so in a relationship, you start out and you grow. And, you know, it's what you're willing to do in the process of your growing. Are you willing to abort your growth? You know, are you willing to um, um, stop, you know, for the sake of happiness? You know, I'm not happy anymore. You know, so, or are you willing to, like anything else in life, endure the process, learn from your mistakes, you know, do it better next time because you learned from your mistake. You know, so, no, I wouldn't do um, anything all over again because, not in marriage, because this is who I was when I got married. This, is, this was who I was. This is who I grew up to be. And so, because we come together and now we're one, now we got to fix those things that we brought into marriage. We got to fix them, you know, that, that are not going to help us to be able to sustain our marriage. Those things have to be fixed. And so, that has to be worked on. You know, so it doesn't, we, we're not going to just be dropped in and say, let it be, and so it is let there be and so it is you know we got to work at it and so i wouldn't change anything because i think it has made us to who we are today and still not perfect still learning still growing still going through the processes because how many of you know that life is different before children and when you have children it's another whole process you know so i wouldn't change anything i would you know have, and, and that's the way God had, had it to be. I would say, I mean, you were speaking about, you know, in the terms of a legacy for your children. And I think that one thing that should not be missed is for them to see how the prayers of their parents brought them here. The prayers of their parents and their faith in God brought them here. And I think that is like the number one piece of that, that your children will take away, is that because of my mom and dad's faithfulness and because of their prayers and their commitment to each other, it brought me here. And that can go along with the memoir, that will go along with the book, and they can say because of their faithfulness that I'm here. Um, Let's give a hand for our panel this morning. Because y'all have definitely um, 
the transparency is what's needed when it comes to the body of Christ. Because we, I know growing up, the, what I saw in church when it came to marriage, it kind of make you feel like, do I want to get married and be saved? Because it looked like the world marriages were having a good time because they were going on vacations. They were going out together. They were doing things as a couple, whereas when you looked at the church couples, they weren't doing that. So, so now we are at a place where you know, marriage has taken a lot of hits in society, and people are saying, I'd rather live together than get married. Marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when two people make a vow to love each other through sickness and in health, for better, for worse, that death do us part. That's a beautiful thing. But you have to be willing to go through the day-to-day -day stuff and not let that deter you from marriage. Because marriage is a beautiful thing. Do we have any questions from our audience? Do we have any questions? Okay. I want to applaud you for your transparency um, and your commitment to the panel. I know that it had to be um, come with some difficulty, had to come with um, some prayer, some really, some really deep thought, and Lord, do you really want me to be in this position to share? Because I, I, I know that we've gone through things um, as a couple, and I know that all these other couples have had their challenges, and it's, it really um, speaks to your ministry it really speaks to your your dedication, your faithfulness to the Lord. So personally, I just want to applaud you in that and say thank you because it has helped me even just um, listening today and it's helped me to, to, to recount some of the issues that I've had, some of the issues that we've had, and to make a decision that things have has to be done differently and have to be done better and have to be done faithfully and according to his word. Amen. So I just want to say thank you. Amen. Thank you. All right. Yes, sir. I had one quick question uh, on the panel. Per person, what marriage or couple living or have passed away, do you, have you said in your mind, this is what a marriage looked like? Who, who is that couple, who is that, that marriage that you, whether they're today, gone on, who, who is that couple, have you still in your mind as to what a marriage looked like? Uh, I'm going to say Pastor Stone. I admire that those two, their passion 
to work together at it. And when they came here and they ministered, that has been in my heart for a long time. And um, they said something that I had, I had sought in, some, in, in the area of business where if you want to be, okay, let's just use an example. If you want to be rich, you have to get around rich people. You have to get with somebody who thinks like you. And that's what they said. If you want your marriage to be successful, you have to get around people like-minded and the successful, and you got to stay connected. You got to stay connected. At, and the connection is uh, attending seminars, attending conferences, to, um, functions like this, um, being around other couples that think the same way you think. And that couple, what has been that type of image for me, and I try to mimic that. I try to keep uh, reading material, staying connected with stuff that's it's going to um, enhance my marriage. It's going to build it up. And um, Henry Cloud is one, of the, was one of the good ones. His book, I recommend you get his book. It's very good. And it, and it deals with a lot of these situations. And it's, it's, it's uh, 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 one of the sources that Pastor Stone referred to. It's just staying connected in that area. Anyone else? Um, I would say my parents. You know, even though I, I talk about how we didn't do the vacations, uh, my dad went through a lot of sickness. He had colon cancer, he, had, he was a diabetic, and I seen how my mother took care of him. So, I, you know, in hindsight, I'm thinking about, wow, you know, that's really why, you know, I mean, even though we were put together and going through his illness, um, at that, that instilled some good values in me. I seen my mother serve uh, my dad. My father never spoke, he never raised his voice, never, uh, did anything to discourage my, my mom. Now my mother on the other half, she's a, she was a firecracker. But just seeing them stay together through sickness and hell. Um, him providing, seeing a good provider, he was that one. He was not a womanizer, he was just a hard worker. He worked two full-time jobs, you know, uh, growing up. So I, I seen the strength in him, getting up each, you know, each morning and uh, you know, going back, going, coming home, sleeping for 45 minutes, going back out, doing another job. And this was a man who never, who never finished school because, you know, when my dad grew up, he was the oldest, so he had to take care of his older siblings. So, you know, you didn't go to school. You had to take care of your, your younger siblings. So, you know, seeing that, but just seeing that strength in my parents uh, is what I would say that I, I try and model or think about as far as a good marriage. Until death do them part, my father passed away, so they were together. And for me, it's, it's a collaboration. There's not one set couple, but there's a few couples that I've always gleaned from. First of all, my mother and father, you know, um, I've seen a lot, I've seen them struggle, but I've also seen them engage. And in between all of that, mm -hmm. their affection towards one another. Um, my mom, there was a time when I learned while I was on crack cocaine living in DC, my mother was in the church at the time and, and saved and loved the Lord. Still to this day, her husband, my father, was going through in the same respect. And all the way until his dying day, you know, a couple years before that, he gave his life to Christ. So to see the strength and the grace of God on her to endure and persevere, you know, and really to have the, the home sanctified through her salvation to the place where my father finally gave his life to the Lord. And even my son and, and my nieces and nephews, I remember T.C. said, 
Poppy saved, that's a miracle. Because he wasn't this, you know, gangster lean dude anymore. All the passion that was already on the inside of him, we saw that thing displayed to his dying day. And the way he treated my son and his grandson and granddaughter did not make me envious or jealous, but it blessed me, you know, to see that. And then to look at couples like you and your husband, because you guys do take that trip. I don't care if it's downtown or Philly or whatever. I enjoy the moments when we will go hang out and, and have a meal together. I love the hunts and their discipline. You know, Lynette talked about her boys and their marriage and their parenting. William's prayer room with this book, I don't know what you call it, but it's powerful. You walk in there and you know, you know what the, the room is for. You know, so there's different things, the hammies. You know, there's people that I look up to, they don't even know it. Just because of what they share, their transparency. You know, Sister Hammy reminds me a lot of your mom. You don't have to tiptoe around her. You know what she's thinking because she's going to tell you. And she's passionate. And this brother right here, I've seen him kneel down at the altar and cry and weep to God in prayer. So I, I, I you know, I kind of collect and gleam from so many people that, you know, it blesses me. And there's others I could probably say, but. I want to add, can I add, can I answer too? Yes. Okay. I want to add uh, my grandparents, my grandmother, my grandfather. I remember growing up, my grandfather was retired and my grandmother was still working. And let's just say it's summertime and we lived in the home with our grandparents and we get up during the summer, run wild, tear the house up. And my granddaddy would cook lunch. And then about 2.30, he'll, my grandmother's name was Alice. He'll come say, Alice gonna be here after a while, y'all better clean up. So we would clean up the house, and so by the time grandma got home, it wouldn't look like anything had happened. But he would cook, and then when she would walk in the house and she would say, what did you cook? And depending on what he cooked, she knew if she had to cook dinner or not or she knew she could just relax because dinner was already made. And when I got married, I learned that they had years of being together, of learning each other, that they were able to communicate without speaking. And then also, um, when we met the Fosters, um, Kathy and Mike Foster, the first time I met them was in a small group, and I love how they are patient with one another. And I used, to, I used to tell my husband when we would leave that small group, I was like, did you, did you notice how he listened to her when she talked? And how she listened to him. You know, some couples that when they're having a conversation, somebody will cut somebody off and they just cut them off and like, well, you ain't telling it right. But they were patient when they spoke. And, and it wasn't like, no, you're telling it wrong. And then he, I think Mike would say, well, another part of that, and it wasn't rude, it wasn't aggressive, and he was like, well, another part of that. And then, and then Kathy would say, well, you're right, dear. You're right, dear. I forgot that. So it was like I learned, you know, like you said, you glean from other couples, but one thing I can say, I learned patience from them. And that is something that I have definitely tried to um, make a part of me with my husband. I need a class. Can I come over? <laughs>
Well, I have I have one person, one a couple actually two, but my, I had a cousin um, in New York. He was a pastor. His wife, well, the wife was our cousin through blood, and so they were pastors in New York. And I remember they were one of the couples that when my father was acting out, that we would go to their home. Um, you know, me and my sister, we had to scatter. You know, some people would take this child and that child. So my sister and I would go to their home. And it always seemed like a lot of fun. And the pastor, who was my cousin, the male pastor, you know, he was always joking and, you know, just having a good time. And, um, you know, so that, you know, they stayed together. He passed away and they were together till death do them part. And so I'd never seen them upset with each other at all. Every time we went, it was just a good time you know, when we went there. And if I had to choose a couple here, I would say um, John and Carmen Dorsey. Because I love their love, you know, and it's not a fake love. You know, what they show here, they show on outreach, they show when they come to your home, they show when you go to their home, it's not fake and phony. And so, you know, that's what I like about, um, you know, the Dorseys. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the panel. You all have just really blessed me. And um, just hearing some of the transparency and the testimonies, I was back there just worshiping God in my heart. I'm like, God, you are still performing miracles. God, there is nothing too hard for you. You are still doing great and mighty things that our little finite mind cannot understand. But the God we serve is awesome, and he's still doing awesome things. And I was just blessed by the, the uh, testimony of how, you know, God blessed you with your heart desire with your sons. I mean, and your son, just like Sister Kim said, they're so well-mannered. They're such gentlemen. They're so uh, just wonderful young men. And I know that they're going to make us all proud someday. Amen. And I just thank God for this panel discussion. Thank God for you, what you and your husband are doing. You are just uh, doing an excellent job for the ministry. And I just wish a lot of young single people were here today. I wish some young people who are contemplating marriage or who are dating would have sat in here and heard this today because it is some powerful information that we can receive and, and to go on to make our relationship great. Um, I thank God for my life and my marriage. And we're still working on some things in our marriage. Uh, but prayerfully that we'll get to where God wants to be, that his perfect will will be done in our relationship. But I just want to say thank you all for your transparency, for what you shared today. Uh, the, the panel is just awesome. So I really enjoyed it today. Thank you, ma'am. Amen. Oh, okay. And this is Sister Kathy Foster. <laughs> Well, God bless each and every one of you. And I really don't have a question, but I do want to address the uh, audience and say that, can we just stand and give them a standing ovation? Because they certainly deserve it. We love you, we thank you for your transparency. It's been such a blessing, I believe, for each and every one of us that are here today. Thank you so much. And, and be encouraged, because you're blessing so many. God bless you. <laughs>